This is Tani Talks Radio, the year where we talk a topic for the week for the audience members to keep. I hope everybody had a wonderful Yom Nuratan or Shani Yom Kippur. I hope everyone had a wonderful start to Sukkot. Now that we're about halfway through the Sukkot holiday, I hope you're enjoying it and that you versus the Sukkot, you were able to triumph over the Sukkot, putting up the Sukkot. They have a good rule of an Esrog and that the whole holiday is going well for you and your family. Of course, you can listen to Tani Talks Radio on all podcast forms after the fact as well and here, same time, same place, Amir Tashem Blinader, every week. Let's talk a little bit about Kiddush. So we talked about Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur a little bit. We talked about the Sukkot elements last time here in the fall of 2023 in early, early, early October 2023. But now that we're getting through the Yom Tovim, let's discuss and, and talk about an idea that really relates to all of us all the time. That is the idea of Kiddush. What do we do when we say Kiddush? What are we trying to accomplish when we say Kiddush? And that really applies to all things in life. The idea in mitzvahs, the idea in life, what are we trying to accomplish? We're really trying to take the mundane and elevate it. We're really trying to infuse spirituality into the materialism. That's all aspects of what we do. We take the lulav and an esrog, which is just the palm branch. It's the it's the myrtle branch and it's the the citron these are things that just grow on trees and grow on the land but we elevate it we take it and we put it in a purpose we give it a purpose to be used to sanctify god's name the same thing is with kiddush we take grape juice my favorite is sparkling grape juice that we use on shabbos and yom tov we take it and we elevate it we say a blessing over it and it becomes sanctified to sanctify the day the day this is also in tefillin these are black boxes that we put holy scriptures inside the psukim very kodesh element and we elevate it we take the talus which is a prayer shawl a, a garment that we put fringes on the tzitzes the tzitzes themselves are fringes these are all things that we take and we elevate them because that's the idea in judaism in life in yahadut we want to take the mundane we want to take the things that are material and we want to elevate them that's the whole idea of elevating elevating the mundane you ever notice how in life, the things we do in life in Judaism takes this physical and makes it spiritual? That is what we try to do in the religion, in the way of life. In Judaism, it's elevating the mundane. Everything we do can be elevated, can be used for good. You love to read books, so read Jewish novels. Don't just read books in general. Get the Jewish novels. I get excited whenever I see a couple of books, new books that we don't have that we could add to our own lending library in our basement. We actually just changed the lock and the doorknob, so it's a much more functional door for people to come through the basement to get books, take them out. It was bothering me for many years that it was a handle and not a doorknob, and that I had misplaced the key so it's much better now we want to take something simple mundane but make it for a higher purpose we love reading books read those jewish books i love music and we change we change it over the years to jewish music we listen to only jewish music only males and we do that and we elevate things also you have a phone you have an iphone you have a macbook you have an mp3 player make it holy or make it elevated by using it for jewish ideas and jewish concepts for Jewish aspects, you love writing, write it Jewishly. You love speaking, speak Jewishly. Take whatever you can and elevate the mundane. From our tzitzes to our talis to our kippah, to our refilling our kiddush cup. And we could look at the kippah again, God willing. And more, we, see, we seemingly take a physical item or object and we sanctify it. We make it holy. We make it spiritual.
Everything in our life can be elevated to the spiritual. Don't just take out the trash. Take out a mitzvah with you. Don't just wash the dishes in the sink. Sparkle your neshama. Everything can be uplifted. And a classic example of that is Kiddush, where we elevate the grape juice or the wine for those of you that drink. My wife and I, as a principle, don't drink even on Purim, even on Simchas Torah, which really makes no sense, but that's a whole other concept. We elevate the grape juice to a whole another level. H.com points out with author Lori Palatnik, the word Kiddush is from the same root as Kodesh, holy, to elevate the physical to a level of spirituality. It is part of our challenge in this world to take the physical pleasures that Hashem has provided for us and use them for a higher purpose. Let's face it, we can use the physical or abuse it. We could drink wine to excess, God forbid, and fall down drunk, or we can pour wine into a silver cup, for those of you that do, and say a blessing over it, designating the next 24 hours of Shabbos, or 48 hours if it's Yom Tov, a special, 24 hours of experiencing, or 48, the more refined things in life, friends, nature, singing, discussion, prayer. Wine brings joy, for those of you that do. What greater joy could there be than what greater joy can there possibly be than knowing that Hashem is there, watching over all that He created with love? The curtain is rising, and Shabbos begins. H.com also points out with Shoshana Dresser, the Medrash relates that the Chanoch from the portion of Barashas was a shoemaker. As he stitched the shoes, his mind was occupied with ele- elevated thoughts. Rabbi Yisrael Salanter explains that these elevated thoughts were not of a mystical nature, but thoughts that ensure that each stitch was perfect in order not to, to cheat his customers and to ensure that he provided them with, cuff, with comfortable shoes. It's like the idea also. The shoemaker, the blacksmith, was working late at night one time. Rabbi Yisrael Salanter also is walking. Maybe he's leaving the base medrash very, very late one night, 2 o'clock, 3 o'clock in the morning, and he sees... Everything is everything is pitch black, it's dark, everyone's sleeping except in one little house, one little hut. He sees that there's a candle burning, probably back in the days when there wasn't really electricity yet. And curious, he goes over to the window and he sees a shoemaker, a blacksmith, working in the dead of the night, 2 o'clock, 3 o'clock in the morning when everybody should be sleeping. Except if you have insomnia or whatnot some nights, but in general... Everybody's sleeping. What is the deal? What is going on? Why is he still awake? So he's curious and asks this blacksmith, he asks the shoemaker, Why are you still awake? What are you doing? And the blacksmith or the shoemaker says to Rabbi to Rabbi Yisrael Salander, As long as the candle is still burning, there is still work that could be done. As long as the candle is still burning, there's work that couldn't be done. Of course, Rabbi Shalom to the Father of the Muslim movement, everything he learned in life took to heart and used it as a lesson model for life. He took that lesson to life. As long as the fire is still burning, as long as the candle of your neshama is still burning, there's still work that could be done. What a Muslim lesson for life. You see someone working and, and being involved in shoemaking or tanning or blacksmithing, whatever, and they learn a lesson. As long as there's candle, there's still what to be done. So to an shamas, there's always something that you could do. There's always something that could be involved. This person making the shoes who has each stitch in mind to make sure it's perfect, he is trying to help others. His main motivation was to help others rather than merely making a living. This was how he attached himself to God, the Mecht of with his mind. He transformed each stitch. A mundane job became an act of loving kindness. This is a life 
changing concept. Actions that we don't usually look at as being acts of love and kindness can be imbued with meaning simply via our intentions. An accountant is helping people to manage their accounts. A surveyor is ensuring safe and comfortable living conditions, and a grocery owner is providing the public with nutrition. Once realized, a day-to-day -day job can take on a new meaning. The same principle also applies to smaller daily actions, such as handing something to someone or even emptying the rubbish on behalf of the household. With the correct thoughts, the actions become beautiful and fulfilling acts of giving, benefiting both the giver and the recipient. A changed mindset can transform the mundane into a mitzvah. H.com points out with Rabbi Weinman, when you think about it, most of our entire lives, when you think about it, most of our entire lives are spent or is spent doing mundane activities, quote-unquote mundane activities. How much time do we eat? How much time do we sleep? How much time do we use for the bathroom? How much time do we use spending to fill the car with gas? How much time do we spend getting dressed and showering, etc.? We spend an incredible amount of time on the mundane. Why would God design a world so... Why would he design the world with so much time spent on seemingly meaningless activities? Doesn't he want us to be holy? Doesn't he want it to be in our life that we're very holy? Some would try to be holy by searching for a cave to spend all their time in meditation and prayer. This may not be such a bad idea, but it certainly doesn't seem to be the intention of the Creator. It's not what Hashem had in mind. It's harder to be in the world and try to elevate it on its own terms. This is the challenge of life. This is the challenge of life and the design of the universe. Pick one activity that you do on a daily or weekly basis. Try to discover some elevated thoughts you could consistently have while doing it. Try to pick something from the Try to pick something you have from the week. Try to pick something you have on a weekly basis. Try to find some elevated thoughts that you can have, that you can consistently have while doing that. Further, it's precisely through these kind of things, and it's precisely through these kind of things that we're involved with in our life. It's what you can do to be in this life. You have to try to understand it's harder to be in the world and try to elevate it on its own terms. This is the challenge of life and the design of the universe. So if you pick that one activity, you do it on a daily basis or a weekly basis, try to discover some elevated thoughts you can consistently have while doing it. You'd have something that's throughout your week anyway. You have something that's in your week anyway. What can you do to elevate those thoughts, to elevate the actions, to elevate the aspects of the action, to elevate the aspects of your life? Elevating the mundane act to serve Hashem. This is only an example. These are different things that we could try to do. For example, it's precisely through eating kosher and keeping our pots kosher that we elevate the mundane act of eating to a service of Hashem. This is only an example. We should extrapolate to all mundane acts and strive to make them holy. Taking just one meal this week out of all the meals 
Taking one meal this week out of all the meals, try to elevate the meal by thinking only about eating kosher, healthy food, and eating for the sole purpose of gaining the strength to serve Hashem as an example of what we're trying to do to elevate different things in life, to elevate our aspects and to elevate our lives. If there's something that you do every week already, what can you do to elevate it? What can you do to use it? to bring it to a higher spiritual plane, to try to make it that it's on a higher level, on a higher aspect in your life, to bring it to Hashem. For example, working on this this kid's one-page task, which I love to do as a side, every week that we try to get it in, every week we try to work on it, every every time I try to work on it, I can think to myself, this is what Hashem put into my mind as a Jewish response to Where's Waldo? Find Fievel is my concept, Hashem put in my mind, Baruch Hashem, we've been working on it now for a while, we're hoping to make a book in the future. This is my response, the Jewish reaction, the Jewish aspect, the Jewish items to find, the Jewish family to find in a different picture every time. This is my way of giving a fun activity for kids that is Jewishly themed, that is from the aspect of Yahadut, the aspect of Judaism. That's what I could think I could elevate my mind while doing so. I'm trying to prepare it anyway. I'm trying to get it ready anyway. Might as well put the elevated acts involved in it. Try to take one meal out of the week. Out of all the meals, try to elevate the meal by thinking only about eating kosher, healthy food, and eating for the sole purpose of gaining the strength to serve Hashem. H.com points out with Rabbi Geffen, The purpose of creation really means that man is supposed to take the land and turn it into heaven through performance of mitzvot in the physical realm. The Shem Yishmuel elaborates that it is insufficient to live a purely spiritual existence. Rather, one must be involved in elevating the physical world. When the Jewish people completely succeed in this ultimate goal, they will achieve the goal of creation and the end of days will take place. When this occurs, all the nations will also be profoundly affected by this change for they will be forced to reject all forms of immorality and also strive to elevate their physical existence. H.com also points out that Yaakov referred to the Mikdash and serving Hashem as a house. It seems that these various descriptions represent the different ways that the Avos, the patriarchs, related to serving Hashem. Why does Yaakov describe it as a house? A house is the location of all the mundane activities that a person performs throughout his daily life, including eating, sleeping, and forms of work. Of all the Avos, Yaakov was the one who was most required to be deeply involved in the daily vicissitudes of life, such as dealing with dishonest people, Lavan, spending long hours at work, years, really seven years for this one, and then a week, and then seven years for that one, spending long, long hours and years at work and bringing up a large family. For many years, he was forced to deal with mundane areas that are not in and of themselves mitzvos. He was unable to devote all his time to learning and prayer, which I'm sure he would rather do. One aspect of Yaakov's greatness is that he was able to live in such an environment and elevate his daily activities into acts of holiness. This is what he declares to his brother Esau when he returns from his long years in exile. I lived Garti with Lavan. The rabbis tell us that the word Garti if you switch it around spells Taryag. Garti switch it around a little bit to the Taryag and you get the 613 mitzvahs. Yaakov was alluding to the fact that he remained steadfast in the service of Hashem. 
despite living in conditions that were not conducive to spirituality. Thus Yaakov elevated all such activities because he saw them all as opportunities for holiness. Accordingly, he viewed the seemingly mundane home as a vehicle for divine service. We have seen the importance of elevating the home. This has been very pertinent over the course of many years, especially when people were working remote, especially when it was the height of the pandemic, when many people throughout the world were confined to their homes and their shuls, and the study halls were as well. H.com points out from Rabbi Weinberg, from Rabbi Noach Weinberg, Zatzal, identify and intensify your pleasures. Articulate exactly what is this specific pleasure, what makes it taste good, look good, and smell good, and feel good. For example, ice cream, cold, sweet, soft, friends, security, connectedness, sense of being understood, Torah, clarity, wisdom, transcendence. Be a gourmet of life. Focus and make sure you're getting the full pleasure. Swish it around in your mind and prolong its taste. The deeper appreciation will motivate and energize you. Judaism also tells us, from Asian Rabbi Weinberg, to take the middle road. God made a physical world not to frustrate us, but for us to enjoy. Life should be beautiful and engaging. Jewish spirituality is not achieved by meditating for years on a mountaintop or by fasting in a reclusive monastery. Jewish spirituality comes through grappling with the mundane world in a way that uplifts and elevates. On Friday night, we raise the cup of wine and use it, not to get drunk, but to make Kiddush and sanctify the Sabbath day, sanctify the Friday night of the Shabbos day. Spirituality, says Judaism, is to be found in the kitchen, in the office, and even other areas as well. Hashem created this world for our pleasure. Bishvili Nivra Ha'olam The Gemara, the Talmud, the commentators tell us you're supposed to really carry two slips of paper in your pockets. In one pocket it should say, Bishvili Nivra Ha'olam. Because of me, for me, God made the world just for me. But in the other pocket you're supposed to give another piece of paper that says, Va'ani Afar Va'efer But I am just dust and just ashes. A person is supposed to realize that, yes, Hashem made the world for us, but there's still so much more for us to do. There's so much more for us to accomplish. We're just a speck of dust in the human fragility of existence in the blip of time. We have to do what we can to sanctify the life of the tiny amount of life that we're given. 120 years we should be Zohar, but it's a tiny blip in the history of the entire world. The Almighty created this world for our pleasure. The Talmud says that if a person has the opportunity to taste a new fruit and refuses to do so, he will have to account for that in the world to come. He will have to own up for that. What is so special about fruits? God could have created bland oatmeal with all the vitamins and minerals necessary for survival, but fruits are the dessert the Almighty made. It's a labor of love solely for our pleasure, refusing to taste it shows a lack of appreciation. The sages also teach that an elderly person should sit in the sun. No matter how much you appreciate wisdom and learning, you still have to treat the body well. And even when physical strength has dwindled, one can still derive delight from the warmth of the sun. The Torah also instructs us to recite a blessing of thanks before partaking of any food or drink. 
And even when encountering phenomena like thunder or a rainbow, saying a blessing gives us time to pause and reflect to remember that everything is a grand gift. Take note of how many opportunities you have to take pleasure each day. The sunrise, the splash of cold water, a refreshing breeze. Are you paying attention? Or are you riding over them like a bag of potato chips? And Rabbi Warmbrick teaches also there are smart ways to go about these things. To waste anything in life is foolish. Like when people say, I'm killing time, I'm wasting time, I just need to wait it out, I have two more hours to kill. It's such a waste. Wasting anything in life is foolish. To waste pleasure is absurd. The body is to the soul like a car is to the driver. Keep the body feeling good so the soul can tackle what life is about. We live in a pleasure world. Make sure you get the true, lasting pleasures. Watch out that you don't use material pleasures as a way of running away from life. Overindulgence strains self-respect. To get the most pleasure out of life, be full of vitality and purpose. Savor your pleasures like a gourmet. Translate all your pleasures into energy for living. When you have a cup of coffee, you feel good. Now, how will you apply that burst of energy? To maximize any physical experience, make sure to get the meaning behind it. Don't retreat from life. Elevate it. Wisdom is a delicious flavor. Translate the energy into a good aspect. Transfer the energy into wisdom. Wisdom is a delicious flavor. Translate the energy of a good ice cream cone into wisdom. Don't get lost in a bag of potato chips. Do what you can to use the physical, to elevate the physical to the spiritual, to the higher level, to the higher path, to the higher aspect. Use the godly path. Do what you can to elevate the physical to the spiritual. And Amuna Braverman points out on Ish.com that any job can be meaningful because it's not what you do, but how you do it. And if the dry cleaner greets you with a cheerful hello, if the car mechanic is honest and quick, if the bank teller treats you like a person, they're infusing their job with meaning. If a craftsman cares about his product, if a teacher or therapist cares about each kid like their own biological children, if top quality materials are used and time and attention lavished, then they are elevating the mundane. If a plumber connects all the pipes with care and precision, if you know one who can, then it's always good to have their number on hand. Not trying to cut corners, his efforts acquire a spiritual component. If a stockbroker is zealous on behalf of his clients and follows all the ethical rules of his profession, then he too has found a way to make his job more than just work. And if the paycheck supports spouses, children, elderly, charitable organizations, this retroactively infuses the work with meaning. You don't have to save lives to make a difference and find job satisfaction. You don't have to save lives to volunteer for a nonprofit. You have to follow the Nike wisdom and just do it. From guideposts.org, G-U-I-D-E-P-O-S-T-S.org, and edited and condensed from Survivors Club, the true story of a very young prisoner of Auschwitz. Listen to this. Michael Bornstein was born in Zarki, Poland, into the chaos of World War II. At just four years old, he was sent, along with his entire family, to Auschwitz, 
the notorious Nazi death camp Yamachshimam in Poland. 3,400 Jews lived and worked in Michael's hometown before the war. Less than 30 returned. 3,400 lived there. Less than 30 returned. Almost all of the Michael's family members. An incredible story that Michael documented in his stirring memoir, Survivor Club, co-written with his daughter Debbie. In it, Michael details the horrors of his experience during the Holocaust, but also the many miracles he witnessed as one of the tragedy's youngest survivors. One of them aspects is edited and condensed from the Survivors Club about one such miracle, the survival of a small silver kiddush cup that ended up becoming a symbol of hope, faith, and perseverance for Michael in the aftermath of one of the darkest events of human history as pointed out by Hillary Robbins. Something to return for. It was October 1939, and German soldiers were coming to the family's red brick house on Sosnawa Street in Zarki, Poland. It was the day the soldiers began taking contributions, quote-unquote, on Papa. Their Papa was determined to protect what they had. If you're so set on doing this, at least remember the cup, Mamishu called softly, her eyes still trained through the living room window on the armed German soldiers taking valuables from their neighbors' homes. I've already got it, Papa said, ducking out into the backyard as soldiers' voices grew louder and louder. From the back door, he counted his steps. He stopped at a soft spot in the soil and dug with his hands like he was gardening. I guess you could say that the father was planting, bearing the family seeds of hope. Within a minute, a hidden cavity appeared. He dropped in the sack of all the valuables, including one small unadorned silver cup called a Kiddush cup used on the Sabbath. That's a holy day celebrated every week in Jewish homes from sundown Friday to sundown Saturday. Shabbos, it's marked by prayer, wine, and song. Shabbos is intended to be a time of rest and the most peaceful day of the week. The Kiddush cup is raised in gratitude. Back inside, two Nazi soldiers, Yimachshimam, burst through the front door. The mother prayed that the father would return. He materialized in the living room door just in time, his expression giving no hint of panic. His hands, soiled from digging in the dirt, were now just as clean and unsuspicious as his expression. Papa had gotten the job done. In the spring of 1945, after the war, Mamisha raced back to her old house. It didn't even look like their house anymore. It had been taken over by a Polish woman after the family was sent away. Her heart was racing, but she had no intention of turning around until she found what she had come for. When her husband first buried the family's stash of money and jewels, it had been pretty easy to spot its location, if he knew where to look. Five years later, with the papa gone, Mamisha had to rely on rough measurements. Did Israel say 13 steps, or was it 14? Mamisha was second-guessing herself. She paced down her steps several times before finally dropping into her knees to dig. She dug into the earth with just her hands. The mother knew that Papa had left enough zlatis in the bag to set up in a new city. Surely the valuables in the sack would, would net a nice amount of money for the schooling and some proper clothes. She kept digging and eventually wrestled the bag free from the ground. Why does the bag feel so light? Mamishu's face flushed. She knew without opening the bag that she had been robbed again. Her safety net was gone along with every last physical memory of her old life with the papa. Her heart felt utterly broken. 
but she was about to toss the sack to go to the ground and leave defeated when she noticed something. There was still some small weight inside the bag. She reached into the bottom of the sack and grabbed something cool and curved. She pulled out the family's silver kiddush cup. To Mamishu, this was the greatest treasure of all. Yamach Shemal's army had killed millions of Jews, but it was abundantly clear on that night. You can't destroy faith. With memories of Shabbos dinners and laughter swirling in the mind, Mamishu returned the cup to the bag and clutched it to her heart as she started back to the side of the house with a victorious smile on her face. The money could be replaced. The family kiddush cup, though, was irreplaceable. Later on, it was May of 1953 when Mamisha was late to the bar mitzvah. She, she'd, be still, she'd be along soon enough, people thought, but the rabbi said that they couldn't wait any longer. Services had to begin. Just as the bar mitzvah boy stepped onto the bima, the holy stage, the big wooden doors at the back of the room swung open, and the mother came racing to the front row. Unshouldered, she mouthed to me in Yiddish. Sorry, she was wearing a bright honey-colored dress and her best jewelry. She blew a kiss to the bar mitzvah boy from her seat to the sun, and he couldn't stay mad. During the bar mitzvah ceremony, the rabbi raised a tiny silver kiddush cup that he brought to temple with him that morning. He loudly chanted the prayer over the wine. The cup had one small ding on its side, but to every family member in the crowd, it looked perfect. The author of the storyteller talks about how he's a grandfather now, recently retired from a long career in pharmaceutical research. They share their days, him and his wife, filled with grandchildren's soccer games and family birthday parties and an unyielding supply of indescribable joy. Two generations after the Holocaust, from one survivor, there are four children and twelve grandchildren. Hundreds of thousands more from other survivors and escapees. The sense of identity today is stronger than ever. At their children's weddings and the grandbaby's bris or baby naming, they raise one very precious silver kiddush cup in gratitude and celebration. That family heirloom, once buried in the parents' backyard and Zarki now stands as a symbol of a faith that can't be broken no matter how great the test. This again comes from the Survivors Club, the true story of a very young prisoner of Auschwitz from 2017 by Michael Bornstein, copyright by Debbie Bornstein, Hollenstadt, adapted by permission from the company. Interestingly, there are other sources to think about. There are other sources to see that tells us about being involved in elevating our lives with the Kiddush Cup and beyond. Sota 38b talks about how Rabbi Yeshua ben Levi says, One may give a cup of blessing to recite the blessing of Birchas HaMazun, Grace After Mirrors, only to someone with a good eye. A generous person, as it is stated, one who has a good eye will be blessed, Yivorach, for he gives of his bread to the poor. From Mishlein. Do not read it, will be blessed, rather read it, will bless Yivarech. Pesach 102a talks about how the Gemara returns to the subject of interrupting one meal to recite Kiddush. Sages taught with regard to members of a group who are reclining and eating a meal, and the day of Shabbos was sanctified. They bring one of the, drink, the diners a cup of wine, and he recites over the sanctification of the day, Kiddush, and a second cup over which he recites the Brechas 
Shulchan Shalarba points out how one should be careful about doing the ten things required for the Bukava blessing, rinsing, washing away, undiluted wine, the cup be full, crowning, wrapping, holding the cup in two hands, grasping it with the right hand, raising it a hand's breadth, and setting one's eyes upon it, passing it on to members of the household. When we talk about in Shemos, in Perakhaf, Pasuk Chet, we talk about remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Zahoris Yom HaShavos Lekadjo, keep the day holy. Zahoris Yom HaShavos Lekadjo. The sages taught in a bright Psalm 106a, with regard to the verse, remember the day of Shabbos to sanctify it, Remembered over wine through the recitation of Kiddush. You only derive from here that there's a mitzvah to recite Kiddush during the day, as the Pasuk is referring to the day of Shabbos. Where do we know, where do we derive that one must also recite Kiddush at night? Because the Pasuk says, remember the day of life to sanctify it. Which indicates that one should also remember Shabbos as soon as it is sanctified. Erevin 79b points out that Rava said the elders of Pompadisa, Rava Yehuda, and his students stated these two matters. One was this mentioned above with regard to lifting the barrel, and the other was with regard to one who recites Kiddush over wine on Shabbos or a festival. If he tasted a mouthful of wine, he fulfilled his obligation. However, if he did not taste a mouthful, he did not fulfill his obligation. When we talk about these different things, when we're talking about how we can elevate things, how we could sanctify things, we got to think about what we could do in our life. Kiddush is a way to sanctify the day. Kiddush is a way to sanctify our lives. Remember the day of Shabbos is sanctified. Remember it over wine through Kiddush. I see that we do it at nighttime. We do it at daytime again. One should also remember Shabbos as soon as it is sanctified and again during the day. Eruvin 79b talks about how Rufus said the elders of Pumbadisa stated two matters. One was mentioned above, lifting the barrel, and the other one was talking about reciting Kiddush over wine on Shabbos or a festival. If he tasted a mouthful of wine, he fulfilled his obligation. If he did not taste a mouthful, he did not fulfill his obligation. Devarm points out to us, remember, observe the Sabbath day and keep it holy as Hashem commanded you to do so. Mishnah Torah talks about in Shabbos, one must not eat anything not eat anything or drink wine once the Shabbos has arrived until he has recited the Kiddush Bracha. Similarly, when the Shabbos has come to an end, one must be, not begin to eat or drink or do any work, even taste anything at all until he recites the Havdalah. However, one can drink water. Kiddush and Havdalah should both be recited over wine. It's a positive mitzvah to express the sanctity of the Shabbos day in words, for it says, remember to sanctify the Shabbos day. That is to say, remember it in terms of praise and sanctification. One should remember it at its beginning and its conclusion by reciting the Kiddush when the Shabbos begins and the Havdalah when it ends. Yechotu Rabbi Shemal points out to sanctify it with a blessing. When they rule, it is sanctified by wine. Kiddush upon its entry, this tells me only of Kiddush at night. Where do we derive the daytime? From remember the day. Zachor, es Yom HaShavos. The tells me of the Kiddush for the Shabbos. How do we know? For the festivals, because it says in Vayikro, these are the festivals. Elam Odeh Hashem, Mikro Kodesh Hashem, Degrosam Adam. These are the festivals of Hashem, which you shall call in the Kiddush in their times. Pesachim 100b talks about how the Gemara continues to discuss the halachos of Kiddush. With regard to those people who recite Kiddush in the synagogue and the shul, as was customarily done at the conclusion of the prayer service on Shabbos night, Rav said they have not fulfilled their obligation over wine. The blessing over wine in the shul does not enable them excuse me, to drink wine at home without an additional blessing. 
they fulfill their obligation of studying Kiddush, but you still got to do it at home because you need a physical action of drinking the liquid. Psalm 101a, Shmuel follows his line of reasoning. Shmuel says there's no valid Kiddush except in the place of one Shabbos meal. If one does not eat a meal in the location in which he recites Kiddush, he has not fulfilled the mitzvah of Kiddush. Gemara Megillah 27b talks about an incident. Rabbi Zakkai was once asked by his disciples, in the merit of which virtue were you blessed with longevity? He said to them, in all my days, among other things, I've never neglected the mitzvah of sanctifying the day of Shabbos over wine. I was meticulous about this mitzvah to the extent that I had an elderly, elderly mother, and once when I did not have wine, she sold the kerchief that was on her head. From the proceeds, she brought me wine upon which to do the mitzvah of sanctifying the day. Kiddush Sasalevi and Barashas Vayeshev talks about in relation to Yaakov experiencing painful experiences apparently linked to his settlement on the holy soil. We have a rule, Kol Ma Shebara HaKadosh Everything Hashem made was only for His honor, which means all man's activities should be aimed at pleasing Hashem's honor. To illustrate what the author of the Mishnah had in mind, when Hashem, when, it, when we say whatever God created was designed to extend His hands His honor, that means whatever we should do, especially if it's something necessary, material like eating, to keep healthy, we must at the same time have in mind that by remaining healthy, we can better serve our Creator. If we do this consciously, every meat we eat is a suitas mitzvah, a meal that has been sublimated from being merely a mundane activity to performance of a sacred duty. Such hallowing of what appear on the surface to be secular activities also enable us to help the sparks of the Shechina, which had been condemned to enter our domain, to return to the origin, having proved to their Creator that they had put their sojourn on earth to good use. These sparks in the Shechina, though in exile on earth, had preserved the lower universe's inhabitants' ability to eventually find their way back to the innocence, the ideal state in which man had been created. For he had committed a capital sin, the sparks that had separated from the Shechina at the time had become an almost integral part of the physical universe, having some presence in everything that serves man to continue to live on earth. So all organic matter that serves man as food also contains parts of these sparks when Hashem has these foods sublimated by man consuming it with the intention of enhancing his service to Hashem, he opened a path for the spark, literally taking the food sublimating the food and making it enhanced by a mitzvah to be given the energy, be given the ability to serve Hashem properly we are taking these foods, these sparks and we are elevating them the deeper meaning of the halacha requiring us to wash our hands or recite a blessing over this, something we do not do when we wash our hands in order to cleanse them from dearth, is also connected to this idea of the food that we try to consume. Yeshaya refers to this until as you die and washing one's hands as a religious rite. Exalted them forever, according to the interpretation is talking about different aspects, how we could elevate ourselves in the world in the land and in the aspect. The bracha, which ends with the words Hamosi Lacham and Aretz, is accordingly understood as the raising of something that was merely earthly bread to a progressively higher status through the thoughts that will course through our hearts and minds while we eat the bread, the meal. The deeper meaning of the benediction is that although it is apparently pronounced over the most basic material component of the physical earth, bread, the staff of life, it contains within it, through being sublimated, the potential to enable one of the exiled sparks from heaven to begin its journey homeward to its roots in the celestial spheres. Shabbos 119b talks about how Rabbi Lezer said a person should always set his table on Shabbos Eve with all the preparations for an important feast, even if he only needs the table set for an olive bulk of food. 
Rav Chanina said a person should always set his table at the conclusion of Shabbos Saturday night for a feast. In deference to the Shabbos that passed, even if he only needs the table set for an olive bulk of food. Shabbos 117b. Rav Chanina said a person should always arise early. Always rise early on Friday in order to prepare all of the expenditures for Shabbos, as it is written with regard to the collection of the man. It shall be on the sixth day they are prepared that which they have brought, indicating that the children of Israel, the Bnei Yisrael, would begin preparing the food for Shabbos immediately upon collecting the manna in the morning. So we should do what we can in our lives to elevate the aspects around us. Looking at the Kiddush is the best example. We take the wine... We take the grape juice, we elevate it, we lift it, we try to bring it into a higher sphere, into a higher aspect, into a higher enabling in our life. We could really take everything in our life and really bring it to a higher plane, a higher existence, a higher aspect in the life. You have the phone, you could use it to record shiurim, you could use it to watch shiurim, listen to shiurim. You could use it to read Torah literature, to read from Aish, from Chabad, from Oyu, from Wayu from all these different websites, beautiful, wonderful websites, we can do what we can to elevate the aspects of our life, to elevate the particles or part part and parcels of our life. We can do what we can to raise ourselves, raise the life around us. Pirkei we're talking about in Perak Aleph, how we should use our homes, Yehibet va'ad l'chachamim, should be a meeting place for the chachamim v'hevi, mesabek v'afaraklim, we should sully ourselves in the dust of their feet. We should do what we can to have our house be places where people come to learn, people come to listen, people come to study, and people come to receive different aspects of mitzvahs. Your house could be a hub of shinuch meets. It could be a hub where people package things or send packages to people, where people have a base of support to get things done. You have a house, you have a table, you could get things done, you can make things happen. You have a car, you could drive people, which is also considered Achnasas Orcha. Many people talk about, many commentators talk about what we could use our car, our houses, to be elements and vessels of sanctification, elevating things in our life and making our things more higher plane and higher existence in our life, doing what we can to raise up our lives and the lives of those around us. You have a job, you have a capability, you have a talent, you should use it to raise things up to Hashem. You should use it to create wonderful aspects to Hashem. Use it and do what you can to raise up your life. If you have an idea, you have some sort of a concept in your mind that you always wanted to do, you were thinking in a writer's workshop saying, what did you always want to do? What did you want to accomplish with your life? Sit down and think what you can do. What can you elevate in your life through doing what you want to do, through doing what you love to do, doing what you're capable of doing, whether you're working on a kid's project and you could sit, you could sit down and think about how to influence those around you to try to make them a little better. You have a great voice. I love to record Use it for Torah, use it for mitzvahs, use it for chesed. Help out and make sure the world is a better place. Elevate the mundane aspects around you. Make sure to be positively influenced in the aspects around you. Do what you can to be involved in a life where you're doing much good. (coughs) And you're doing what you can to help people to elevate. It's all about elevating the mundane, elevating the spiritual, elevating the material to a higher purpose. That's what it is in Judaism. We take the physical and we make it spiritual. We elevate the 
regular stuff around us from the tzitzes, the talis, the kippah, how we refill our kiddush cup and more. We take a seemingly physical item, a seemingly physical object, and we do what we can to sanctify it, make it holy, make it spiritual. Everything can be elevated to the spiritual. Do what you can to elevate the physical to a level of spirituality. Even if you're going to take out the trash, even if you're going to record a song, record a book, work on a book, make sure it has Jewish aspects, Jewish concepts, Jewish themes. Make sure it resonates with the people around you. Do what you can to elevate whatever gift you have in this life. Whatever you can to do to elevate the physical to a level of spirituality, that is the challenge, one of our challenges in this world, to take the physical pleasures Hashem gave us and to use it for a higher purpose, not to get drunk, not to abuse it, but use it for good, use it to cause good in this world, saying blessings and, and having positive effects around the world. If you have a talent of um, instrument that you play, use it for Jewish songs, use it for Jewish gatherings, Jewish comzits, Jewish, you know, sing-a-thons, sing-alongs. Do what you can to elevate the mundane around you. Do what you can to bring those sparks out, to gather the sparks, even if you're making... A shoe in the middle of the night. If the candle is still burning, there's much work that can be done. You can elevate those shoes to be the most holy shoes on earth. Not because they're new, but because the intents that were made with them and the aspects of how you thought about them, how they were thought about, and how they were going about. What can we do in our life to make sure that we elevate things, especially starting with Kiddush? We can elevate our lives. We can elevate our actions. We can elevate the aspects around us. And maybe we could finally be Zolcha to have a peaceful existence, a beautiful existence, a wonderful existence where everyone around us is elevated. There's more spirituality in the world, more awesome in this world. And may that day, in fact, be today. This has been Tani Talks Radio, where we talk a topic for the week for the audience members to keep here on Tani Talks Radio, and I'm your host, Tani.